Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, fellow time travelers. As always, it's a real pleasure to have you along for the ride through time and space. As I always say, you can help support this podcast series in a very straightforward way. You get, as a collateral benefit, access to exclusive content. uh, And it's all done by signing up to my patreon.com site. It's a simple process. Go to patreon.com, look for me by name, and then, you know, fill in the form and part with a little bit of cash and join the family. And if you do... If you already have, a thousand thanks. You'll find all the details as a link uh, within this podcast. uh, Or if you go to my YouTube channel, likewise, you will find your way to where you want to be. And I'll look forward to seeing you there if you do. All right, it's time to strap into the time machine as we set off towards the next stop on my love letter to the world. Recorder, microphone, action. The bubonic plague hits Europe. Fear and panic spread. Houses in London have their doors sealed shut. Many are daubed with prayers like, Lord have mercy. The University of Cambridge closes its doors and Isaac Newton flees towards his childhood home in Lincolnshire. For him, that time of lockdown was an opportunity to think more deeply than he ever had before. He thought about light and refraction. He conjured into being the laws of motion. He watched an orchard and an apple tree and came up with gravity. And all of it was eventually published in a book like no other, the greatest work of science ever written. Hi, Neil. Last week, we met the ghostly apparition of a half-plucked frozen chicken. Where are we this week? Hi, Paul. This week, we are sidestepping the feathered spirits and hopping from one big brain to another. In the last episode, it was 1626, and we met the brilliant Francis Bacon. 
Now, nearly half a century later, it's 1664, 1665, and a dark cloud is sweeping across Europe. Another wave of the deadly bubonic plague. As much of England shuts down, we're on our way to Woolsthorpe Manor in Lincolnshire to meet Isaac Newton, one of the greatest minds the world has ever produced, as he sits down beneath an apple tree. We're in England, we're in the the latter part of the 17th century, and we're contemplating a chance event in many ways, and the consequences for one individual changed our understanding of the world forever. I mean, right now, here in the 21st century, there's something... There's something huge in the rearview mirror. And some people say it's time to forget that that something ever happened. And others, uh, myself included, say we must never forget what happened in the last two or three years. And I would say it's way too early to contemplate forgiving, far less forgetting in relation to those whose creation the something was. And the something is, was lockdown, which was that time of enforced confinement in our homes. And I would say it was when corruption and misuse of the scientific method, the scientific method that we've discussed in this podcast, the the misuse of the scientific method was exploited that misuse was exploited deliberately to bring Britain and the wider world, but to bring Britain to a halt and to begin to accustom the population to accepting severely limited horizons whenever the powers that be want those horizons so limited and that we would accustom ourselves to putting up with those limitations for as long as we're told um, And it was the application of, or an attempt to apply the absolute authority of the state. Lockdown, which is prison parlance, it's it's a term that's applied when unruly prisoners need to be shut in their cells because they've been bad boys and girls. But lockdown, in the broader sense, was a variation on an uh, an old idea. An idea that's been employed in the past in the face of fear of disease. As an alternative term, there was quarantine. Uh, and quarantine is a familiar word for many. It comes from, well, Italian and, and Latin, well, Latin, quaranta uh, giorno, 40 days. Uh, because in the 14th century, uh, it was practice to try and hold at bay ships and crews arriving into Italy from countries that were known to be affected with the plague, the Black Death. And it was decided that ships should be held offshore for 40 giorno, 40 days, to see if what happened to the crew. Let's see if they're infected. Uh, 40 days is one of those uh, ancient notions of a long time. You know, when you, when you read about 40 days and 40 nights in the Bible... It might mean 40 days, or it might just be a a shorthand for a very long time. 
So our lockdown was was not a new idea. It was a, a reapplication, I would say a misapplication of of the concept of, of quarantine. Some people during lockdown found the forced captivity provided them with a time of creativity and productivity. You know, people got books written and, you know, extensions built on their houses and all sorts of things. Um, but I doubt very much, to come to the matter of the love letter to the world specifically, I doubt if anyone in the last three years could claim to have been as productive in the face of quarantine as a certain polymath and scientist who was driven into isolation during an outbreak of plague in the middle of the 17th century. In the winter of 1664, there were reports all over England particularly in London of deaths from Black Death, bubonic plague that horror that had appeared first of all in the 14th century and and harvested unto God anywhere between a, a third and a half of the European populations people were terrified of it, rightly so you know the Black Death is you know that now there's a disease to be afraid of the reports kicked off in the winter of 1664 and by the following summer, 1665 the death toll was in the thousands. And that was it was the Great Plague of London as it went down in the history books. And it was in full flood by 1665. And in the face of it, it was practice for people to shut themselves in their homes or, or indeed be told to stay in their homes. But people in the face of a, of a truly terrifying, lethal illness tend to hide anyway. Uh, so people were behind doors and, and onto the external woodwork went p- daubed prayers and warnings, you know, Lord have mercy and, and variations on that theme. And it wasn't just London, of course, that was afflicted. It was all over Britain. It was all over England. And one of those affected was Isaac Newton, who at the time was a student at Cambridge University. And, well, like everywhere else in the environs of London, it closed. The university shut up shop for fear of plague and everyone was sent away. And Isaac Newton went home like any student would (laughs) from his student accommodation in Cambridge. He went home, uh, well, to his childhood home in Woolsthorpe Manor in Lincolnshire. Uh, He'd grown up there and he was to stay there for the next year and a half. And in later years, while it began as a time of fear, Isaac Newton later described it as the most productive 18 months of his life. And and it certainly was, <laughs> demonstrably the case. You can imagine him kicking about, filling his days, and because of the mind that he had and because of his essential nature, he was forever noticing things. And where most people notice things, phenomena, things and whatever around them in the natural world. Most of us just kind of shrug and move on. But Newton was one of that rare breed that needs to ask questions of phenomena and to work out what's going on. So he played all manner of games. He had, for example, a prism, you know, one of those like Toblerone bar shaped pieces of glass. And which were, you know, available, readily available by by that time. And 
he, he knew, he had observed that light passing through the prism would split and create the rainbow pattern on a wall or, or in the air. And, you know, not content with just being amused and entertained by the effect, he wanted to know why. So he pondered and he came up with the notion of refraction. Imagine, you know, refraction it had to come from somewhere. Well, you know, Isaac Newton was in there applying it, understanding it, coming up with it as an explanation for the splitting of invisible light, so-called white light, into the colours of the rainbow. And he, he worked out, basically, that different colours refract at different angles. They're, you know, they're bent out of straight, but at different angles. And each differently refracted portion of the light appears to our human eye as a different colour. Uh, so he, he came up with all of that and he explained it and he wrote it up and understanding our species' understanding of the science of optics was changed forever. And you'd have thought, well, even that, even if he had stopped, even if during his time of isolation and quarantine that had been the sum of his achievements, that, that would have been significant. But no, he's Isaac Newton. And you know, as I mentioned, just constitutionally, genetically, you might say, incapable of not noticing things and then asking why. And then having asked why, setting himself the challenge of explaining it, answering his own question. In the same way that light passed through a prism splits into the colours of the rainbow, phenomena, you could say, when passed through the brain of Isaac Newton, gets split into individual threads of understanding. He is a prism of, of understanding. He, through him passes the world and it gets refracted and he can then interpret what he sees. He also studied motion. If you shoot an arrow from a bow up into the sky why does it describe an arc and why does it slow down you know why does it eventually run out of the ability to fly through the sky and then fall back to earth same same with a cannonball you know a cannonball comes you know firing out of the end of the cannon but then eventually it runs out of momentum and it falls and he wants you to know why well because it's Isaac Newton, he came up with the three laws of motion. An object in motion will remain in motion unless acted upon by an external force. Right? That's, that's one law. And that the force acting on an object is equal to the mass of that object multiplied by its acceleration. What kind of mind is that? And that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. You know, he, he he comes he comes up with that in the face of what he's observing. You know, he's just he's just extraordinary. We've got the science of optics. Uh, we've got the three laws of motion, uh, and he's still far from finished. There are various accounts of how the next thing happened, but let's see. He's walking through the orchard at Woolsthorpe Manor, and more than once he watches. He sees an apple fall from a tree. And land on the ground. Well, Newton wanted to know why that happened. He said, why doesn't it float away up? Why does it go down? 
You know, why, why does it always fall towards, effectively, the centre of the Earth? And that made him think about, why does the Moon stay in place above the Earth and the Sun? You know, he thought, why do all of these things stay where they are? Because he knew that you know, if you have a if you have a, a heavy weight or a or a, a ball on a chain or a rope, and you spin it, it'll stay. It'll it'll be held in place by the rope. But if the rope is cut or the chain breaks, then the 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 ball or whatever will fly off. And so he thought, there doesn't seem to be anything holding, fixing the apple to the earth, or the moon or the sun. So why don't they just scatter, thrown out and away by their own force and their own momentum. And he, 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 well, he answered the question by coming up with gravity. He, he thought up, he didn't make gravity, obviously gravity is gravity and gravity is forever, but he understood it, he conceived of it, that everything from the tiniest to the greatest was held in place, is held in place by gravity. Now that that boggles that boggles my mind. You know, I, I wonder why I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> what, what contribution am I making? Twenty years later, on the fifth of July, sixteen eighty-seven, he published all of it. He published all of this great thinking in the book that, with to give it its Latin title. Philosophiae Naturalis Principia Mathematica, which is Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. Natural philosophy for us is science. And it's probably the greatest work of science yet written. Maybe someone at some point in the future will write something more influential, something bigger. But at the moment, it's the Principia. That's the daddy. Within it, I mean, about gravity, Listen to this. He noted, All matter attracts all other matter with a force proportional to the product of their masses and inversely proportional to the square of the distance between them. Now, if you struggle to understand that sentence, get in line. (laughs) It's part of the legend that is Isaac Newton because not only was he a, a singularly smart man, with an almost unique ability to look out at the phenomena of the cosmos and make sense of it, ask questions and then answer them for himself. He was undoubtedly an oddball at the same time. People have speculated that perhaps he was, you know, on the spectrum of autism. People spoke very fondly of him. You know, his friends loved him. But there was also a sense in which he was... He was, you know, well, strange, quite quite difficult to be around. He was also extremely competitive, very secretive about his work. You know, he was determined that that nobody would steal his ideas or or use his ideas to get ahead of him, and it meant that he deliberately made the Principia incomprehensible. <laughs> It's not by accident that it's a very difficult book because he didn't want it to be readily understood. And it's full of you know, quotes from and references to the Bible, and scripture. There are abstruse references to historical figures. All of it, it's a great stew of, of ideas and brilliance that, you know, unless you're nudging in the direction of 
Newton's ability, the Principia is impossible. But that it was in his nature. It was in his nature that although he had this understanding, he didn't necessarily want to share it. You know, he both he both understood everything, but was disinclined to let everybody else understand the cosmos the way he did. A 19th century English scientist uh, called William Hoole, he considered Newton's approach. He said, The ponderous instrument of synthesis, so effective in Newton's hands, has never since been grasped by one who could use it for such purposes. And we gaze at it with admiring curiosity as some gigantic implement of war which stands idle among the memorials of ancient days and makes us wonder what manner of man he was who could wield a weapon we can hardly lift as a burden. And that's a great, that's a great insight, that's a great way of you know, contemplating the way Newton was. But he changed the world of science. He directed, deliberately or, or inadvertently, the study of natural philosophy and science forever after, for centuries after his own time, his way of understanding the universe. It still works. Newtonian physics still work. They still explain the bulk of what we understand. It's co complicated, certainly, by the advent of quantum science, which explains something else. But you couldn't really say that Newtonian physics has ever been overtaken for his own part, Isaac Newton said that by understanding gravity, by coming to terms with gravity, it enabled him to explain the system of the world, is how he put it. It was integral. The cosmic tumblers in the lock lined up and he was able to unlock the universe. And it was his conception of gravity that was that key. I was a, a, a consumer of The Big Bang Theory, which was an American sitcom about four geniuses sharing a life. And the smartest among them was uh, an individual, Sheldon Cooper. I think Spock was, was part of the creator's inspiration for <laughs> Sheldon's appearance, certainly, and his way of thinking and talking. But I suspect Isaac Newton is in there in the mix as well. And there's a there's a bit in um, there's a bit in an episode uh, where he, Sheldon has taken delivery of a new laptop computer, and he's just on his own, sitting on his couch in his flat, and he's thinking about the the, the inbuilt operating system, and he says, "My new computer came with Windows Seven. Windows Seven is much more user friendly than Windows Vista. I don't like that." <laughs> he didn't. He didn't like the fact that other people could understand Windows 7 in a way that they couldn't understand Windows Vista, which was an earlier iteration of the, of the operating system. He liked that. He liked that it made life difficult for everyone but him and the advent of something more readily understood was suboptimal for Sheldon Cooper. And that right there is Newtonian thinking. That right there is a reflection of the same state of mind that Isaac Newton uh, existed in. He had the key to unlock the story of the universe and he did use that key 
to unlock that story of the universe, but the way in which he chose to recite that story of the universe and that story of the world was difficult and challenging. But Isaac Newton changed the world. When I hear you talk about the science and Isaac Newton, I can hear the excitement. There's some, is there something about being next to that, those big brains that's exciting? It's exactly that. It's always been like that for me. The summit of my ability is I can feel the heat of, I can detect the heat and detect the brightness of very clever people. But I, I can't generate the heat or the light myself. I'm just, I suppose, sensitive to it. And it's within my grasp to understand the scale of the contribution that someone like Isaac Newton made. But that's the limit of it. I cannot then properly share that understanding. If I had my time again, I've often thought I would try harder at maths at school. But then part of me knows that if I was suddenly 14 again, I would find it just as bamboozling as I, as I ever did. And I, I do think that some people have a facility for foreign languages. My daughter does, actually. She, she, she much more readily picks up French and Italian and so on than I ever did. She's got a facility. Well, to me, maths is the language that nature speaks. The universe speaks maths. What we call mathematics is the language of the universe. And I don't speak it. It's strangely exciting though, isn't it? I exist in this weird kind of limbo, really, of, of between not understanding and understanding. I can get so far. I mean, I've even got, over on a, I think this is over on that desk over there, actually, I've got, I've got volumes of Euclid's geometry, <laughs> which are, to me, every bit as incomprehensible as Isaac Newton's Principia. But I, I, like, to, I like to read bits of it, Euclidean geometry, and every now and again, for a moment, you know, the kind of mist clears, as it were, and I see the view, and, and then I put the book down and walk away from it, and it's gone again. So it's, it's tantalisingly close, and I'm just filled with breathless awe about the occasional existence that there has been of people like Isaac Newton, who just get it. And I suppose I comfort myself with the understanding that I'm just not wired that way. You know, the fact that I can't understand maths is not entirely my fault. My brain works in a particular way, but it doesn't work that way. But it works well enough to enable me to appreciate, as I say, the heat and light that those characters generate. In the 1660s, much of Europe is still made up not of nation-states, but vast landed estates ruled over by monarchs and nobles. When King Charles II, which is to say Carlos of Spain, dies without an heir, dynastic dynamite is ignited. Next time in my Love Letter to the World, 
To help support this podcast and to get access to new and exclusive history and comment vodcasts every week, sign up to my Neil Oliver Patreon site. I'd love to see you there. Also check out the Instagram account called Neil Oliver Love Letter, my YouTube channel called The Neil Oliver Channel, and to help build this podcast, tell your friends about it, get them listening, write a review, and convince everyone else in the online crowd to join us. For further reading about these moments in time, you could try my book. It's called The Story of the World in 100 Moments, and it's published by Trans World. Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the World is produced by Paul Ratcliffe and Neil Oliver for Catnip Inc. Music's composed by Milo McKinnon. Social media and YouTube producer is Oscar CFR. Additional research is by Evie, Lucy and Archie and Teddy. Finance is by Catherine and Trudy. Post-production is by Squared Studios and the graphics are by Paul Plowman. Thanks for listening. This has been a Catnip Inc. Podcasts production. (laughs) 